0: Good to see everybody out this morning. Uh, the, The group that's here today is a far cry from what it was last year at this time. If you remember last year, we weren't allowed or weren't supposed to assemble, so we broke up the congregation and had two services. People weren't supposed to gather for their Thanksgiving dinner, and this year we're able to do that, and we need to be thankful for that. And hopefully as you sit down at that table, you won't be just thinking about how the lions are going to lose or how they lost, uh, but you'll think about uh, your blessings. And I think that as that song says, it's good to count our blessings. I have a little clip in the bulletin this morning about someone who was famous that said uh, basically that we needed to have, instead of one day of thanksgiving, we needed to have 364 days of thanksgiving and one day for griping and complaining. Well, that's probably true because we gripe and complain enough and we need to count our blessings because God has blessed us tremendously. The vaccine that's out there that's supposed to protect people from, a, from COVID has been approved for people that are kids that are five years old and up. And we ran into some people that we've known, and uh, they're not church members, but one of the things that they were questioning, because they had a child in that age group, as to whether or not the vaccine would be safe. I think that that's a valid question that people need to ask about any vaccine. Is it safe? Not only today, but what is, is there going to be long-term effects for that person, whoever gets the shot, uh, years down the road? And we want to make sure that what we put into our body is safe to put into our bodies. And I'm not here to say what you should or you shouldn't do. That's entirely up to you. But well, I wanted to use that to help us to think about sin. Because sometimes we look at sin and we want to know if some sins are okay. If some sins are safer than other sins. And is it only going to affect me temporarily uh, right now? Or is it something that can be, have a long-term effect on me? And so we need to understand what sin is. Because people go to great lengths to try to justify their sins, and some of the things they do is kind of amazing. And it's rare that a person will say that something that they're doing is wrong, that it's a sin, and that it shouldn't be done. In fact, a good study for you is to go look in your Bibles and see how many people willingly admitted in the Bible that they had sinned. And you'll find that in the pages of that book that there's very few people that will admit on their own without being confronted that they had sinned and did something that was wrong. I wonder how it is with us if we looked in the mirror. How many of us would look in the mirror and say, I'm sinning and what I'm doing is wrong. Or how how many of us would even admit that to someone else that we are doing something that is wrong. You see, more it's more common to kind of dress up the sin and make it sound like it's not a, mi- or a major problem, that it's only a minor problem. We tell things like little white lies. That's a lie that has a good intention. And so those are okay. Now we look at uh, uh, swearing. We know that there are some words that we wouldn't say, but do we substitute other words that are more acceptable but yet make the same point that we wanted to make. We talk about safe sex when in reality it's fornication. Safe sex is an attempt to prevent conception or disease. God's method of safe sex is to be done in the relationship of marriage. And before that, we are to abstain from it. But no one wants to say that. They want to make it sound safe. If people had their way, most sins would not be called sin at all. And that seems to be the case many times in the religious world, sometimes even in the church, and definitely in the world that we live in. Because in our secular world, we have people that will have moved many sins into different categories or disorders or disease or some kind of genetic disorder. When in fact, it's simply doing things that are contrary to God's Word. And we like to say that there's many gray areas. And there's not as many gray areas as we would like to think. Because I believe that God gives us through His Word, in many cases, this is definitely right. This is definitely wrong, and I believe that there's principles that He gives us that helps us to make those decisions on things that maybe He has not direct or directly addressed in His Word. The Bible plainly tells us in John chapter or First John chapter three and verse four what sin is, and that sin is a transgression or breaking of law. God has a law, even in the New Testament, Jesus is the law or gave us a law that we are to follow. and it's not just his words, but the words of his apostles that were guided by the Holy Spirit that tells us how to live our lives or shows us what is approved of God. And in First John chapter three and verse four it says, "Whosoever committeth a sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is a transgression of the law." You see, there are laws that define what is right and wrong. And sin is a violation of those laws. And so when we go against something that Jesus has taught, or His apostles who had the authority that Jesus gave them have taught, then we are violating the law of God. In Romans chapter 4, and verse 15, it says, "...because the law worketh wrath..." For where no law is, there is no transgression. And so we have a law that we are to follow. Many times people will say, well, we follow the Ten Commandments. Well, no, not exactly. Some of the Ten Commandments are repeated in the New Testament by Jesus, but we don't uh, 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 keep the Sabbath day because the Sabbath day is Saturday. And we know that the disciples met upon the first day of the week according to Acts chapter 20 and verse 7. And so that old law was done away with when Jesus was nailed to the cross, but His law went into effect when He rose from the dead, and that law went into effect at His death. And so the result of sin, the Bible tells us, is death. In Romans chapter 6 and verse 23, "...for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord." Jesus came to this earth and He died for our sins to make it possible that we could have eternal life. But we need to understand that sin is something that is contrary to God's will, and when we sin, it brings forth death. We know that physical death entered into the world when Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden. We also know that spiritual sin or spiritual death also entered into this world through the sin of Adam. That they were the first to commit sin or transgress. God's law. Do we inherit Adam's sin? No, we don't. Because the Bible teaches us that we're going to be held accountable for our own sin. But what we need to understand, it's like a chain that has many different links. There's a law, and when we violate that law, there's a sin, which is another link, And that sin leads to death. And so they're all linked together. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and verse 56, it says this, The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. And so God has given us a law. When we violate that law, it causes sin. And when we sin, it brings forth death. And James kind of gives us a progression of how it takes place in man. In James chapter 1, beginning in verse 14, James says, "...but every man is tempted when he is drawn away by his own lust and enticed." Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. So there again we see the progression. We're enticed because of our own lust, something that we want to do. That's why in some cases, you may not be tempted to do something that someone else is, because you you don't have that desire. But when you have that desire and you see the temptation, you have a choice as to whether to get rid of that thought, that ideal, or to act upon it. And when you act upon it, you sin when you violate God's law. And in the process, that brings forth spiritual death, separation from God. When instead of recognizing sin for what it is, people search for excuses as to why It's not their fault that they sinned. I've heard people say, it was the way that I was raised. Well, it may have been the way you were raised, but you need to change. If it's sinful, it's still sinful. And you need to stop sinning. You hear people say, well, everyone else is doing it. Well, maybe everyone else is doing it. But Jesus plainly tells us that not everyone's going to be saved. That the majority of people are going to be lost. And so many times, instead of acknowledging sin in our lives, we blame it on someone else. And that started all the way back in the beginning with Adam and Eve when they sinned in the garden. What did Adam say? It's this woman that You gave Me, Lord. And what did Eve say? It was the serpent. No, they saw it with their eyes. They had the desire for it. They ate of that forbidden fruit. They had been instructed not to eat of it. And then they did. And what happened? Death came about. Why? Because they violated God's law. That chain had that chain reaction, one right after the other. The problem is that God places the responsibility for sin squarely. On the shoulders of the sinner, but because he tells us in Ecclesiastes chapter eighteen and verse twenty, "The soul that sinneth, it shall die. The son shall not bear the iniquities of the father, neither shall the father bear the iniquities of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon him, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon him." So, what's Ezekiel saying? He's saying, I'm not going to have to answer for my father, what he's done. He's not going to have to answer for me. Therefore, I don't have to answer for what Adam did. I don't inherit his sin. I'm going to answer for the sin that I commit myself. And I'm going to answer for the good things that I do as well as the wicked things that I do, the sinful things that I do. Now, I think sometimes that's the problem because we don't always look at sinful things as wicked. You know, wicked people are despicable. And I would never be one of those. But sin is a violation of God's law, which really isn't that wickedness? You remember the children of Israel when they violated God's law. And Moses was pleading with God. In Exodus chapter 32 and verse 32, it says, Yet now if thou wilt forgive their sins, and if not, blot me, I pray thee, out of thy book which thou hast written. And the Lord said unto Moses, Whosoever hath sinned against me, him will I blot out of my book. Here Moses is pleading with God that if, if, if if, if you can't forgive them, blot me out. Take it out on me. That's what he's pleading for. But God reminds Moses of something that we need to be reminded of that we're all going to answer for our own sin. Not somebody else's. And our name may be blotted out of that book. That's what we need to understand. That's what sin does to us. And we can excuse it. We can dress it up. We can make it sound good. We can do all kinds of things for it. Or to it. But it's still sin. sin. And it can still cost us our soul in eternal damnation. You see, sin and its consequences of death does fade away. You know, we could commit a sin and sometimes we realize we're pricked in our heart at that time, but if we ignore it or we downplay it, the thought of being separated from God can kind of Disappear. And that happens quite often when we find a way to blame it on somebody else. It's not my fault, Lord. It's how I was raised. You're going to be answering for what you do. And that's what we need to understand. Can something that was once a sin be made a sin no longer? Oh, well, we like to do that in our world today. But when God says something is sinful, we can't change it. You see, redefining sin doesn't make it any less of a sin. The law that defines sin hasn't changed. In Psalms chapter 119 and verse 89, it says, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. When God tells us something is good or something is evil, something is right, something is wrong, that's settled I can't change it. And I often say, Who am I? What gives us the power or the authority to change God's Word? You know, I apply that to worship. How, who, who is it that thinks that they have the authority to change what we see demonstrated in the New Testament in worship to what we want or what we think is good? We don't have that authority. We're talking with, to God about God. We're talking about His Son who died on the cross for our sins. They have the authority. And in 1 Peter chapter 1, and verse 25, it says, "...but the word of the Lord endureth forever." And this is a word which by the Gospel is preached unto you. God's Word is going to last forever. It's not going to change. And I don't know about you, but I'm glad that's true. Because if I can change the definition of sin... Then, why couldn't I change the definition of what I do to, uh, that I need to do to take care of that sin? That's exactly what happens. As I asked an individual one time, he quoted a verse to me, he misquoted it, and as he misquoted it, I pointed out that you're not saying it, what it says, and he got very angry. But my point was simply if I can change one verse, I can change them all. I don't have that authority. God's Word will endure forever. And just because a person rejects the Bible's definition, it will not change the result on the day of judgment. Jesus said in John chapter 12, and verse 48, He that rejecteth Me and receiveth not My words hath one that judge him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. Jesus is telling us that guess what? What I'm saying is important. What Jesus is saying is important to us. Why? Because it's not going to change. And we can be thankful for that. I'm thankful that God is the same yesterday, today, and He'll be the same tomorrow. How confusing it would be if God said, Well, today, uh, let's just change this definition of sin. "Ah, It's okay today. Tomorrow, no, I did it. Uh Uh-oh. You shouldn't have. Because today it's a sin. Imagine how confusing life would be. Be thankful that God has given us a word that we can rely upon. Ignoring sin doesn't make it less a sin either. In Ecclesiastes chapter eight and verse eleven, it says, Because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the Son of Men is fully set in them to do evil. What's the wise man saying here? He's saying that sometimes people get away with sin and because God hasn't struck them dead right then and there, they think that it's okay. I've had people that will tell me that, you know, I've done this and this and this and I've done it multiple times and God's never struck me dead. Well, I'm glad He doesn't strike people dead because we might all be dead. Because we've all fallen short of the glory of God. But just because he doesn't strike us dead, just because we don't see any consequences right here and now, does not mean that there aren't consequences down the road. Calling sin cute or saying that love makes it acceptable doesn't make it not a sin. In Romans chapter 1 and verse 32. Who, knowing the, the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. We've heard that today, where people will say, "Oh, they're just in love. Why can't a man and a man get married, and you know they're just in love? Why can't two women get married because they're in love? They might be in love, but God says that's not the way it's supposed to be." Marriage is between a man and a woman. That's what the Bible shows us. That's the way it was from the beginning. And so it may look cute and it may look like they're in love, but it's still a sin. And the same is true with adultery or fornication. They may be in love... But if they're violating God's law in their relationship, it's a sin, and they're going to answer for that sin on the day of judgment. In our scripture reading, we see a list of individuals that had done, or a list of individual sins that people had committed. And what did it say in that passage of scripture? If you do those things, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. So now think about that for a moment. That's what the Bible plainly tells us. On a day of judgment, do you think the Lord's going to say, well, your relationship was just so cute. You know that sin that you were involved with? Oh, it just looks so so much fun. You've brought joy to my heart. You think God's going to say that? No, if we're involved in those sins, heaven is not going to be our home. Saying that we're more sophisticated, or more modern, or more advanced, doesn't make it less a sin. In Ecclesiastes chapter one and verse ten, we find there that there's nothing new under the sun. And if you really study the Bible and you look at the children of Israel and others, you can see that the things that motivated them to do or to go against God's word is the same things that motivate us today to go against God's word. Lies, cursing, fornication, polygamy, homosexuality are not modern day problems. They are all problems mentioned in the book of Genesis. It's nothing new. There's nothing new under the sun. Our technology does not alter the nature of the problem. In fact, sometimes I think that it makes it worse. What has happened is that we've allowed the evolutionary ideas to influence our thinking. We're fooled into thinking that our society is self-improving. Over the course of time, we're getting better. When in fact, we're self-destructive. Look at our world today. Does it look like it's getting better? Does it look like people are evolving to be more sophisticated, to be more uh, righteous? No. Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 13, "...but evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived." Well, how many of us are deceived by the evil practices of the world? we allow it to creep into our lives. We should not take pleasure. Remember what it said in Romans chapter 1, and verse 32, that there are some that commit certain sins that are worthy of death, and those that take pleasure in those things. You see, man has neither the authority nor the right or the ability to define sin. Jeremiah chapter ten and verse twenty-three, he says, "O Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself; it is not a man that walketh to direct his steps. Man may change the definition or attempt to change it, but in God's word, it's not going to change. We'll answer for any sin that we've committed if we don't take care of it. This side." Of the judgment. You see, God does not change. That's what Malachi chapter 3 and verse 6 tells us. And I'm thankful for that. His word is truth. John chapter 17, verse 17 sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. It's part of the armor of God, as I was reminded this morning. That we need to put on that armor because there's a battle that's going on in our world today. In our society, in our everyday lives, where we need to contend for the faith, but that truth doesn't change. In Mark chapter thirteen and verse thirty-one, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. You see, sin is not God's fault. God warns us what is deadly. It is our sin which separates us from God. Isaiah chapter 59, beginning at verse 1. It says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shorting, shortened that it cannot say, neither His ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid His face from you that ye will not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies. Your tongues have muttered perversiveness. None called for justice nor any pleaded for truth they trust in vanity and speak lies they conceive mischief and bring forth iniquity sin and iniquity separates us from god that's a serious matter and the little sins can do the same thing the ones that we think are safe and okay they can separate us from god too just like the big ones. And so we need to avoid sin. We need to strive to to live that righteous life, to be that holy, acceptable sacrifice to God in our daily lives. It's our goal to let the light of God shine in our lives so that others may see our good works and glorify our Father which is in heaven. You see, our lives are not about ourselves, what we want or what we can have. It's about God. God living in us. Christ living in us. His Spirit living in us. And as we go out into the world, we're to be that example, striving to avoid sin, not looking for ways to commit it. Because we know that sin separates us from God. And you see, it's normal, glamorous, and exciting, or acceptable many people in our society today when we think about sin. But on God's side, it will cause us to be lost. In Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 19, He gives us another list. He says there, Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulation, wrath, strife, sedition, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, reveling, and such like. Of the which I tell you before, as I've also told you in times past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. You think that's going to change on the judgment day? No. He's warning us today of the things that we need to avoid in our lives. And no amount of justification... Will cause God to ignore those sins if we have them in our lives. You see, there is no safe sin. Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 through 7 says, Mortify therefore your members, which are upon the earth fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affections, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. In the which ye also walked sometimes when ye lived in them. You see, here's the good news Jesus came to this world to save sinners. And all of us were in that category if we've reached the age of accountability where we know what's right and what's wrong. We're in that situation. And in Luke chapter 19 and verse 10, it says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And we were in that lost condition. We may have been included in one of those lists that we've looked at. But here's the good news. The blood of Christ can cleanse us. It can wash us. And we can be sanctified and justified in the name of Christ. When He comes, when He comes again, it's going to be to judge the world. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, and verse 1, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at His appearing and His kingdom. Brother, we need to put sin out of our lives. We need to mortify, as the Colossians says. Put it to death. Get rid of it. What will we find on His return? Luke chapter 18, verses 7 and 8, And shall not God avenge His own elect? which cry day and night unto Him, though He bear long with them, I tell you that He will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall He find faith on the earth. What's He going to find in our lives? What's He going to find when He comes the second time, when He returns to this earth? Not to set up a kingdom, but to bring judgment upon us. We're going to answer for our lives that we've lived. And will He find true faith? Will He find us doing something that we shouldn't? You see, when people seek to alter God's law, His definition of sin and righteousness, do they really believe what God has said in His Word? What about you? Do you believe what the Bible says? Or do you have your own reasoning or your own thinking? and think that God's just going to ignore your sin, that it's going to be okay. Because sometimes I've heard people say those things that, yeah, I know what the Bible says, but I just believe in my heart that God's going to overlook it. That it's going to be okay. That He approves. Why would we think that? Why would we think when God has said something specifically that He's just going to overlook it? And that it's going to be okay if we violate it. <clears throat> That's not the way God works. And whether you believe God or not, you will stand before Him in the judgment. Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 4, <clears throat> verses 5-7, through "...who shall give account of him that is ready to judge the quick and the dead. For for this cause was the Gospel preached also to them that are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh but live according to God in the Spirit Jesus came so that we would have life we need to understand that sin is no joke that it is a deadly situation to be in and Jesus tells us very plainly I tell you nay except ye repent ye shall all likewise perish if there's sin in your life you need to take care of it You know, we may wonder whether a vaccine is safe. But I can tell you something that is safe. And that is the blood of Christ. That when we apply that to our soul through obedience to the gospel, we have our sins washed away. And we can be like those that were in Corinth that Ben read for us. Where it says in verse 11, Such were some of you. Some of them at Corinth were in those situations. Were part of those lists that we've read. But Paul says, "...such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of our Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God." Only Jesus Christ's blood can wash away our sin. And we need to understand that sin is a serious matter. And Jesus died for your sin and mine. He paid the price. How do we come in contact with that blood? Through obedience to the gospel, by believing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, by turning away from our sin, as Jesus said, "I tell you, Nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish." And then making that great confession, as He tells us in Matthew chapter five or chapter ten, verse thirty-two: "If we confess Him before men, He'll confess us before His Father." And then we need to be buried with our Lord in baptism. That's a water immersion, immersed in the water, to have our sins washed away, and we see that picture in Romans chapter six, verses one through six, with the death, burial, and resurrection, how it is applied to baptism, and what baptism represents—that that old man of sin goes down in the water, and we come up a new creature in Christ. Our sin has been washed away by that precious blood. Doesn't mean that we're going to be perfect, we will sin. But that blood will continually cleanse us if we're willing to confess our sin to God, and He'll forgive us again. So this morning, that's what you need to do in order to have the forgiveness of sin. That's what Jesus says we must do. And so this morning, if you need to respond to the invitation, you can come and have a seat up here on the front row. You have that opportunity while we stand and sing.